good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Yeah, amen. We're so glad you're here today with us and, and uh, hope that the Lord is ministering to you and hitting a spot in, uh, where you need to be touched this morning. I'm going to start a uh, three-week series, I believe, on the book of Revelation, and we're only going to get through the first uh, three chapters of that over the next couple of weeks because we've been studying it on Wednesday nights. We've been studying um, the, the eschatology or the, the study of the, of the end times or times to come, and we've been going through basically our beliefs when it comes to um, the, the rapture, the tribulation, what's the, the events of the tribulation, the millennium, and all of the, the glorious things that are to come. But, and that really has got me interested in where we are in our timing today of our uh, time of life, actually. Um, we are clearly, in my opinion, closer and closer. Well, that's a fact. We are closer than we were yesterday. So that is a fact. So that's not my opinion. It's a fact. We're closer today than we were yesterday to the end of time. Um, but I also believe that we are ramping up in the eschatology or in the study of the times. And I think as we look at the events around us, clearly there's um, interesting things happening. So I, I feel the Lord is asking us to talk a little bit more about that today. And so I want to, th- this is the plan. The plan is today I want to get to Revelation chapter 1. And then over the next couple of weeks I want to talk about chapters 2 and 3, which are the letters of Jesus to the seven churches. And uh, we're going to find, I believe, through those letters of the seven churches in the next week or two, that those letters are to us as well. And uh, when all, whenever you look at prophecy, there's always two or three different prongs of prophecy. There is the uh, purpose of the immediate. There is the um, purpose of the, the far-reaching future. And then for us all individuals, we have some element of the prophetic in us as well. So um, this morning, uh, we just want to jump right into Revelation chapter 1. So why don't you, if you would, open your Bible. And uh, I want to read the first chapter. And then we're going to start talking a little bit about it. But I want to read the context of it. I, I don't like to uh, take scriptures out of context, and that's very dangerous. And so I want to read the whole setting of the chapter, and then we'll come back and try to, try to pick it apart a little bit and understand a little bit more what God has for us. Revelation chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God, and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Verse 4, John, to the seven churches in the providence of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, verse 7, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. Verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and companion, in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance, 
that are ours in Jesus was on the Isle of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, Write on a scroll what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatria, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen. What is now and what will take place later? The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we have just read a lot of information. And God, I know that this book, if we were to take the time to research all 22 chapters, would be absolutely amazing God because it is the revelation of Jesus Christ it is a revelation father of your son that you have given to your servant John and the Holy Spirit will make it alive so I pray this morning that you help us to learn and decipher it is what it is that you would have us to learn in this and so God I pray that you would just move in our hearts now and just give us an attention span Lord I pray that you would give me the, the ability to speak the words that you would have me to speak and that we would all learn and glean this morning of your truth in Jesus' name. Amen. So to help us understand this book called Revelation, it's broken down into three main divisions. There are things past that John has seen. There are things current that are currently around him that, in that time frame that he's living. And then there are things to come. And John was given the the privilege, the responsibility, the opportunity um, to write those things down. And uh, what a challenge that must have been for him to do that. To what a challenge it must have been for him to um, try to embrace everything that Jesus was showing him that day or in that period of time to be able to capture that. But he did an awesome job, and our challenge today is showed how do we how do we learn about it? How do we study it? How do we grasp it? It is a difficult book, no question about it. There's a lot of figurative speech and a lot of words that are hard to understand, a lot of uh, concepts that are, that are described in it. But if we, if we read and listen with an open heart and with uh, a sense of, of literal, literal prophecy um, interpretation, we really can glean what God wants for us. And uh, the Holy Spirit will make it known. So the author of this revelation is John, the apostle. Uh, verse 1, 1, he made it known by sending his angel to a servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw. And then also in verse 9 of that same chapter, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom, 
He was on the Isle of Patmos because of the word of God. And basically, he was a prisoner on the island. And on the Lord's day, he was in the spirit. And he heard behind him a loud voice like a trumpet which said, Write on a scroll what you see. So John is the author. No question about it. There are some books in the Bible that maybe the author is a little bit in question. But no question on this one. John the Apostle. And you know, there's a couple interesting things about this Apostle John. First of all, he was the disciple that he was known by the others as the one Jesus loved. John was kind of a special spot in the heart of Jesus. But you also know that John was a, uh, was a cousin of Jesus. He was the first cousin. His mother was, was um, Salome, and she was a sister of Mary. And so John and Jesus were first cousins. It's kind of interesting to know that. Um, John never made mention of it. He never used that to pull rank on other people, at least not written. <laughs> Maybe he did. We don't know about it. But he was the first cousin of Jesus. And, and not only that, but Jesus held him in high regard because on Jesus' day of, of his death, his crucifixion, John was the one that we know of, was one of the only disciples that was there, that, that was at the cross when Jesus died. And when Jesus was on the, on the cross looking down in one of his last breaths, he says, John, behold your mother take care of her. Basically, Jesus was giving the responsibility of his mother to John and said, John, treat her like your mother. So John had some, a good relationship with Jesus, and he was a special a person in the heart of Christ. And uh, so it's, not, it's kind of interesting that he would be the one that would write the revelation of Jesus. John was also the only disciple that lived a normal, that died a normal death, that was not martyred. He lived to his old age, and he died. Um, another interesting point about John. But there are some really interesting things here about this book. Um, John uh, was uh, writing it under duress. He was a prisoner uh, of Rome. He was on the Isle of Patmos, which was a small island, probably 10 miles long and 6 miles wide. It was a rocky island. Uh, no trees are on that island. It was basically a marble quarry. And John probably was serving hard time um, quarrying marble. Um, while he was in prison. He was upwards of 90 years old, so he was an old man. And uh, he, had, um, he had a hard life, and he was being, his life wasn't getting any easier. But what's interesting, though, is that on the Lord's day, Jesus came to John. Now, what does that, it signifies something. No matter how bad it got for John, he was spending the Lord's day with the Lord. <laughs> he, wasn't, he wasn't in any other place that he should have been. He was right where he was supposed to have been on the Lord's day. He was in the Spirit, and Jesus came to him. There's some special things about this book that I want to talk about that are different than any other book. Number one, that this book, the Revelation, presents Jesus Christ in all his glory like no other book in the Bible. This book takes the time and and it goes through and it explains and it, and it reveals who Christ is. Now, we've heard the word apocalypse and we think of the word apocalypse and revelation kind of together. And when we, when we think of apocalypse, we think of a judgment day or we think of uh, the war. We think of a bad thing. We think of how the judgment's coming. But really, apocalypse means the unveiling or the revealing of something. And so the apocalypse of Jesus is the unveiling of who Jesus is or the revealing of Christ. And really, we all have a sense of knowing who Jesus is. If you're saved, you have a sense of who, knowing Christ, but you don't really get a sense of who Christ is until you spend some time in Revelation. 
until you get in and spend some time on this book will you really have an, a sense of appreciation for really the majesty and the glory of who Jesus is. So that's one of the things that we find interesting about this book. Um, the other, another thing that we find interesting about this is that this, uh, this book proclaims the return of Jesus to earth. And, it, and it's the glorious return of Christ returning to earth. Now, there are two returns of Christ. One is the rapture. And uh, that is uh, exclusively for the church. And that is when the church will be taken out of the world and all those believers. And then comes the tribulation and comes um, some really bad times. And then the second coming of Christ is when Christ, when this book spends more time really talking about the second coming of Christ, which is when Christ comes back to earth and actually puts his foot on the earth and actually takes dominion once again of the earth. And at that time, at that time, all those people in the whole world will know who Jesus is. See, when the rapture takes place, it's a sudden taking away of the church. And the world does not see Jesus. All of a sudden, it's just a disappearance. It's an event that happens, and he's all of a sudden, we're gone. The church is gone. Anyone saved in the church is gone. But the world doesn't know who Jesus is yet, even though if we have him in God's word, but the world does not know. The second coming is when Jesus comes back in all of his glory and all of his splendor. He comes back as a king of kings and lord of lords. At that point, the whole world will see Jesus, and everyone will say, yeah. He was who he said he was. And at that point in time is when the glorious of God will see through the Christ of the life of Jesus. Another thing we see is that there are prophecies um, in this book, events that are prophesied in the future that must take place in a short time. It says so in verse 1. In a short time, these things will take place. And these events happen, and they must happen. And the purpose, or the, the interesting part of this, is that it says, it says, it says in, the, in verse 1, it says, In a short time, it says, in a, it says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, must take, must soon take place. Quickly take place. Soon take place. A quick time take place. The book of Revelation is an urgent book. The message here is urgency in this book. The message here is, this is a time that we need to um, pay attention this is the time where we need to take a rendering of our own heart and our own life and say, where are we at? Because these things will take place in the future, and therefore, time is essence. And it's urgent that we recognize that. Procrastination is not a biblical term. Procrastination is not in the Bible. It is a worldly term. It is something that the world wants us to feel like we have all the time in the world that we don't have to have an urgency about things of God. That we can take our time. That there is lots of time, especially for young people. That I am invincible and my life is never going to end. As a young person, we see life as uh, an everlasting thing on this world. But that's not biblical. The Bible is clearly, in the book of Revelation especially, is telling us that we need to be urgently uh, preparing our hearts and our lives for what's to come. In all honesty, none of us know what tomorrow holds. We don't know if we have a next breath, let alone are we going to be alive till the rapture takes place. So the urgency of the matter is very important for all of us to understand that. The second, or the fourth thing that we find in this book is that this book place, places great emphasis on the churches 
of the day there that are seven that are mentioned and the messages that Jesus gives to them. Now, we're going to study the seven churches over the next couple of weeks, and we're going to understand and try to glean what Jesus is trying to tell to those churches then, but also pertains to us today. Uh, very important messages. And it's as these churches, which are made up of people, a church is not a building, a church is the people. We are the church of God. It's the people within us. We are the church. But these messages are very important, and it's how these people that make up these churches react to the message of God makes the difference for their internal destiny. It's not just the fact that Jesus gives a message. It's how the people in the churches react to the message that makes the difference. Same thing in our life. We can sit in a church day after day, all of our lives, 50, 60, 70 years, whatever that is for us, we can be in church. But if we're not reacting to the message that Jesus gives to the church, then it's no value to us. We must react to it. We must act on it. And so these messages are very important for people. And then the last thing, or finally the fifth thing that I want to mention about the special things is, is that there are great promises, great blessings that are promised to the believers that read, hear, and put into action what this book talks about. And we'll talk about this a little bit more as we go through, but there are, there are promises and there are blessings given to the people that spend the time understanding and reading this book. This first chapter is broken down into a prologue, a greetings, and a doxology. And It's kind of interesting that the greeting and a doxology are at the same spot because typically a doxology is a blessing or an expression of praise that's typically reserved to the end of the, end of the book. But this is giving at the beginning of the book. And uh, so it's, uh, it gives us good reason to continue on and study in it. And then we talk about John's purpose of the revelation and then John's vision of Christ. And we're going to try to break these down and get into them as quickly as we can. We have a lot, to, a lot of material here. So verse, chapter, um, chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, it says, The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. This is the revelation of Jesus. It's not the revelation of John. This is the revelation of who Jesus Christ is. And so uh, the purpose of this book is to reveal Jesus to the world in a different way than maybe he was previously described. You see, up to this point in time, we've seen Jesus into the world as a baby in a manger. Or we saw him growing up as a young man, growing up in wisdom and in stature, even to the point where he could discuss deep spiritual truths with the priests and the scribes and the Pharisees in the temple when he was 12 years old. We saw him growing up in his character, in a, in a man that knew no sin, that he was a, um, a poor man, he was a carpenter, but he made his way honestly and, and diligently through life, and he didn't cheat, he didn't take any shortcuts. He, he earned an honest wage for an honest day's work, we have to assume, because he did things right. He was a man that was water baptized, and when he was water baptized... There was a physical sign. There was, there was a sign that he truly was who he was. There was a, a dove that came down and landed on him. There was a voice from heaven that says, This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And Jesus was the man in, uh, in physical prince, uh, presence, and he was water baptized. He was then led into a desert for 40 years. I'm sorry, 40 days to be tempted by the devil. And uh, 40 days he, was, he fasted and he prayed, meaning he went without food for 40 days. Have any of us been on a 40-day fast? 
Jim's been on a 40-day fast. It's a hard thing to do, isn't it, Jim? Yeah, and I, I have not. Uh, I have fasted, but not for 40 days. But Jesus went on a 40-day fast, and he was tempted by the devil. And Basically, he did that because he was preparing himself for ministry. But he was victorious over Satan by the word of God, by speaking the word of God. He was a man of sorrows. He knew and he understood all the adversity of mankind. He did not escape any of our temptations. What you go through, he understands because he's been here, done it. He's been through that thing, and he's lived there, and he's been here with us. And he was a man that was crucified a sinner's death. Uh, we've all seen the, the pictures and maybe seen the movies of how, how cruel and brutal his crucifixion was. And He certainly... Um, didn't look. The last time people saw him in his physical man's presence or his sense, he certainly didn't look like a king. He looked like a common criminal. And he was beaten and he was, and he was um, uh, whipped for us. And he had a horrible death. So now here's all of a sudden, and recognize that John, the apostle, saw Jesus in all of this. He maybe didn't see him as a baby, but being a first cousin of Jesus, he probably saw him as a young boy. He probably saw him in his life. He probably saw Jesus come through life different than many other men did because he was part of the family. Maybe not recognizing who he was, but he must have thought that Jesus was kind of a weird dude because he never did anything wrong. Could you imagine growing up with somebody at 10, 11, 12 years old and a kid never got in trouble? It just wouldn't be right, would it? I mean, it, it just must have sensed something. John must have sensed something different about Jesus because he wasn't, what, he wasn't part of the gang. He, he might have been part of the gang. He just didn't get in trouble. He just knew how to stay out of, the, out of the fray. I mean, there's a great lesson for all of us there, young people. You can be part of the world, but just don't be of the world. Learn to keep yourselves away from the fray. Learn to keep yourselves away from the problem kids. Not because you don't associate with them, because I'm sure Jesus did, but you just don't become like them. Amen? That you can live your life a set apart from that. So... Now, the book of Revelations that John is going to reveal to us sees Jesus totally different than he was before. Now we're going to see Jesus a victor. We're going to see Jesus a mighty warrior. We're going to see Jesus a conquering king. We're going to see him a judge, a deliverer. We're going to see him coming with white hair, riding on a white horse. In fact, a good rendition of him is that picture back there in the wall that Jeannie Putman painted. That's the way Christ is going to come back. He's going to be different when he came back than what he was when he left. And, he's going to, and we're going to talk a little bit about the symbology of that. But Jesus is re being revealed differently now through this book than he was when he left. And John must have had a great experience in that revelation of seeing that because he saw him what he was. He saw him as he was in the past. He's seen him what he was now when he comes back in the revelation of the, of the moment. And, and he's being told uh, to prophesy what's going to be coming in the future. So John had an amazing opportunity. Verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. That is a packed full verse right there. Let's read, let's look at that. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed is the one who reads aloud. Now, last week we talked about the importance of using our voice. Last week we talked about spiritual warfare and how... The enemy is not in our mind. Even though we battle in our mind so many things, the enemy cannot read your mind. And the only way that he knows where you stand with Christ is when you speak your mind. 
is when you use your voice, then the enemy knows what your position that you're in. He, he reads, he listens to your voice, and then he watches your actions. And from that, he knows who you are. He knows that you're a, a, a Christian. He knows that you're a follower of Christ. So blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of these prophecies. God gives blessings to this because how important it is that we, we read it. And then he talks about blessed are those who hear it. Hearing is something that is related to the reading, but it's a little different level. When I, when I read something, it can, I, I read it, and then when I hear myself read it, it goes through two ways going into my body, into my mind. One, through my eyes, and then when I'm reading aloud, it's also coming through my ears. So it is the process, beginning, beginning the process of internalizing God's word where I can, can begin to absorb it and I can become to let it become part of me so that I read aloud and I listen to what I'm reading as well as I'm listening to good Bible teachers. I'm, leading, I'm reading good Bible commentaries. I'm hearing good teaching. I, I'm basically, what I'm doing here is this, with the two words, reading and listening or hearing, this really describes studying God's word. That I'm taking the time to study the revelation of who Jesus is. And it's just not coming in one ear and going out the other. It's just not reading it until I fall asleep. No, it's I'm reading it, and I'm studying it, I'm listening to it, I'm absorbing it. It's, I'm, I'm trying to grasp all the nuances of it. I'm trying to understand what God's trying to tell me through it. And I'm asking the Holy Spirit to, to give me that revelation. And then the third thing that shows if the first two things worked is your actions. <laughs> and, then, and then it says that we need to um, act on the things. We need to take to heart what is written, or another translation says, and who keeps what is written in it. So the final step is that what we're doing is that we're reading, we're listening, we're hearing, and then we're acting on it. And when I put all that together, I'm going to be blessed. The promises are for those that read, those that listen, and those who keep it, you'll be blessed. There's no other chap, there's no other book in the Bible that's given that promise. No other book in the Bible is giving a promise that we will be blessed if we will do the effort and take the, the, the time to study, read it, and then act on it. So there's got to be something in this Bible, that's, there's got to be something in this book that's a little bit different. And we're going to find a little bit more about that. John 14, 23 says, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. If I'm loving the Lord, I will obey the teaching of Christ. And there's something else that when I have this experience, when I do get to this point where I'm reading, hearing, listening, acting it out, there's got to be a change in my life. I can't go through this study or this revelation of Jesus and if I really have Jesus in my heart, there's going to be a lifestyle change. Something's got to change because prior to this time, we've, we've talked about it a couple of weeks ago, before I become a child of God, what am I? According to God's word, before I become a child of God, I'm an enemy of God. I'm, I'm not God's friend. Uh, you're either an enemy or you're a child. There is no middle ground with God here, okay? And this is... This is very important that we understand that. Our world, our society, the devil would say there's a middle ground, but there is no gray area here. I am either an enemy of God or I am a child of God. And so when, if I'm going to, while I'm in my unsaved condition, since I'm an enemy of God 
And then when I have that conversion experience through Jesus Christ, through the blood of Christ, where I say, Jesus, please forgive me, and he does, there has to be a lifestyle change. Because there has to, there, there's a change in position. There's a change from enemy to child. And there will come, some for us instantaneously, others gradually over time, but there will be a sanctification process that does happen over time. And my actions will change. My actions better change, or I have to go back and say, am I really a child of God? Am I really a child of God? If my actions don't line up with it, then I really haven't. No change of lifestyle means no change in relationship. If my lifestyle doesn't change from an enemy to a child, if there's not a change in my lifestyle, then there really is no change in relationship. Can somebody say amen? <laughs> somebody agree with me? <laughs> Because that's the truth, isn't it? I mean, it really is. I mean, if, if, well, thank, <laughs> I was feeling like I was afraid up here. But you know, the Bible is pretty clear that in Scripture, Jesus says some things that may not necessarily agree with agree with what a loving God would say. He says, "Depart from me, I know you not." Quite often in God's word. One of those examples is in Luke chapter 13, verse 27 and 28. It says, But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you and yourselves thrust out. Now, Jesus knows everybody. God knows everybody. There's not anyone he doesn't know. Agreed? So what is Jesus saying when he says, I tell you, I do not know you? What is he saying to that person? What he's saying is, I don't know you because your character is not of my character. You may be made in my image, but your character, your inside, your internal man is not lining up with my character. Therefore, I do not know you. So there are things that we... Um, there has to be some changes. There has to be some changes in our character so that we are understanding and we're lining up with God's word so that Jesus knows us at the end. Do you want to be known by God? What's your character? Is your character lining up with God's word? The Holy Spirit has to help you with that because you can't do that on your own, by the way. You can't line up your character on your own. You do not have the power to do that in our own flesh. It must be a work of the Holy Spirit. And that comes through a miraculous change when we are converted at the cross. It must happen there. And then fourthly, this verse says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy. Blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written in it. Because... The time is near. The urgency is starting to come into the passion here. The time of what is near? The time of the Lord's return is near. The days are getting closer every day. The time is getting shorter. Urgency is always a good motivator. I don't know about you, but deadlines always make me work a little bit harder. When, I was, when I'm preparing to go on vacation, I'm a little bit more efficient the few days before my vacation that I went in most other times because I don't want to leave a mess on my desk. I don't want to have to come back to a messy situation, so I'll work really hard up to the deadline of my vacation so that I can leave with a 
clean conscience, <laughs> that I can leave without having stuff on my plate. If I could only grasp that concept and make it through all my life, imagine how much more efficient I would be. So life, there are deadlines, guys. There are deadlines for us, and the book of Revelation is trying to give us the deadline because the time is near. The time is near. Um, but you know what? The world doesn't see it that way. There's a book written by Ray Steadman. It's titled, What on Earth is Happening? And in this book, he says a couple things here that's kind of interesting. Um, he says, A bishop of a mainline Protestant church who himself held, held no hope that Jesus would ever return quoted a survey revealing that only 24% of his denomination believed in the literal, literal return of Jesus Christ. Most members of that denomination had decided that the prophecy of Jesus was a failed prophecy or that it had to be reinterpreted in some meta, um, metamorphic sense. But, they concluded, Jesus would surely not return in a literal sense. Kind of a scary thought. Many people in this world call themselves Christians, but the hope of the Christian, the hope of the Lord's return, does not live in them. The life of Christ does not exist in their lives. Outwardly, they seem to be Christians, servants of the Lord, but inwardly, they are unfaithful, and they will have much to be afraid of on the day their master finally returns. Clearly, the fact of Christ's return is a more important doctrine of the church than many people deem it to be. This doctrine is an indicator of the degree to which the Lord's indwelling presence is being experienced. The one with little desire for the Lord's return has little motivation to serve him. When the inner hope of the Lord's return crumbles, all that remains is a hollow shell of a pseudo-Christian and a, temp and a hypocritical pose that cannot withstand the pressures and the t trials and temptations of life. That is why the Lord lays such stress upon his return. The loss of this hope is a primary cause of the neglect of Bible teaching in the church. And a church that neglects the Bible is a church that has become weakened to a fatal degree. A lot of truth in that right there. And, and so this sense of urgency, because the time is near, is critical. Now, if, you're a, if you are a marginal Christian, that should bring fear to your life. That, that, that phrase, the time is near, that should make you uneasy. It should make you uncomfortable. I can remember as a young person growing up in a church, um, I had one foot in and one foot out, like most young people at the time. And I was very upset in the book of Revelation. I didn't like it. I didn't want to read it. I didn't want to think about it. I didn't want to study it because I didn't want to think about the time is near. You need to be nervous about that. But for those that are Christians, however, the book of Philippians gives us a good peace indicator of our heart condition. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Did you hear how, he's, how, how the writer, how... How Paul slipped in those four words, the Lord is near. So for the Christian, the Lord being near is a peaceful thing. It is a good thing. It is something not to be feared. For those that are living your life for Jesus, for those that have fully dedicated your life to the Lord and are living to him to the best of your ability with the power of the Holy Spirit, that those four words, the Lord is near, is not scary. It is hope. It is peace. It is life. It's eternal life. 
It's a great word for us to know that. So that word is near is either a scary thing or it's a peaceful thing. It all depends on where you are with Christ. Where are you with Jesus? And you will know because as you say those words in your spirit, you either are nervous, you're either a little bit uncomfortable right now, or you're rejuvenated with peace because you know your redemption draweth nigh. You know, I don't know where you're at today. I can't tell by looking at your eyes. I can't tell by looking at your faces what's going on in your heart. But you know, and that's what the whole book of Revelation is about. It's about revealing Jesus Christ to you and I personally so that you and I know where we stand with him and that you are urgent in getting that matter corrected. You are urgent in getting that matter put to bed in a right way. And then we go on, chapter four, or verse 4. Greeting, this is the, the greetings and doxology part. John, it says, John to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from who he is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of, kings, of the kings and of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to become a kingdom of priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye shall see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples on earth will mourn because of him, so shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who's come, who is to come, the Almighty. Can you just not see, as you read through that, I wish I had a voice of many waters. I wish I could read it like John must have heard it. I, I wish I could give that persona that God would give when he would read this, but this should bring chills to you. It should bring goosebumps, and it should bring um, all kinds of emotional feelings as you are hearing about the majesty of who Jesus is and to what he's doing for us. Two really important words in all that were, were grace and peace. See, grace comes to us that we don't deserve. I don't deserve grace, and you don't deserve grace. Grace comes to us by the blood of Christ. And because I have then that, that grace within me, that God loves us so much that he's granted that to us, those that have accepted Jesus as our, as our Savior, then I can have peace, a true and lasting peace that only comes from that giver of grace. I can't get peace from the world. I may have a few good days here and there. I may, it, may feel, it may feel to me good when life is good, when I'm on the top of the world, when I have money, when I have health and strength, and I've got everything I need. I might have apparent peace, but that's not peace that lasts. You know that it's not peace that lasts because when you have a financial difficulty, where does your peace go? When you have a problem with your health, where does your peace go? You have peace when our, when our trust is in the giver of the grace. See, Jesus Christ comes back to us as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he comes back as a conqueror. Verse 5 and 6, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom of priests to serve his God and Father. See, that is really the essence of Christianity. Right there, that, we, that, that when Jesus comes and by his blood we're saved, and then he makes us into a kingdom of priests. To do what? To serve him and to serve God his Father. Very important because that's what our reward will be like in heaven. We will be, we will be priests and we will be rulers with him. 
And that can start right now today on earth. We don't have to wait to heaven. We can be godly priests today. Dads, you are the priests of your home. You have a responsibility to be the, 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 the pastor to your children and to your wife. Children and wives, you, have, you are a responsibility to honor your dads as he is doing his best to be the priest. He may not be perfect because there's not many perfect pastors that I know. But, and there's not many perfect dads. But when they're trying, give them the honor and respect because it is now is the time to become that priest. You don't wait until heaven. You start right now. Now is the time. Eternity has already started, by the way. Just so you know, you're already in eternity. You're never going to die. Your body's going to pass away, but your spirit man lives on forever. So eternity has already started for you and I today. The only question we have is where are we going to spend it? Where are we going to spend it for the next million years plus, next billion years? Think of the biggest number you can think of, and you're still going to be around. But where are you going to be around? It's the book of Revelation as to revealing who Jesus is. This is uh, very important, that, that being here is not a result of doing. Being a Christian is not a part of doing, but doing is the result of being. In other words, you do uh, what a Christian does not to make yourself a Christian, but you do what a Christian does because you're a Christian. You, do a Christ, you are a Christ-like follower because you follow Christ. You don't clean your life up first. You don't try to figure it out. You don't try to figure out how I can do all the right things, then maybe become a child of God. No, you become a child of God first, and then you do the things that you act like one. God isn't saying, act like a child of God, and maybe I'll make you one. That's not what he's saying. Rather, he's saying, he says, because you are a child of God, now act like it. <laughs> now because you are, act like it. Prove to me you are. Act like it. And not only me, but to the world around you because we are to, we are to um, be sharing God's redemption to other people. Verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who, was and who is to come. He is the Almighty God. And he's coming back. He's coming back. Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. This is the Mount of uh, Transfiguration, and this is after Jesus had died, risen, spent 40 days on earth, um, known by many people, over 300, over I think 500 people saw him, so it was very obvious he was still alive. He came back to life. Verse 9 says, after he had said these things, basically he just gave um, the great command, the, the, the great um, commission to his disciples. He said, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from, this, hid him from their sight. They were looking up intently into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Jesus is coming back, folks. Just like he left, he's coming back. He's coming back. Revelation chapter 9, or 1, verses 9 to 11. We'll continue on here. This is the purpose of John's revelation. John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was in the Isle of Patmos because of the word of God and testimony of Jesus. Basically, he was a prisoner. He was a religious prisoner here. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Now, we already talked about the, what the Isle of Patmos was like. We already talked about John being 90 years old. But John was in the Lord's day. He was obviously keeping the Sabbath. 
no matter how bad his life was, Paul or John was keeping the Sabbath. A lesson for all of us, guys. We, no matter what's going on in our life, good or bad, we need to keep the Sabbath. I'm not saying it's a Saturday. I'm just saying we need to keep the Sabbath. We need to keep the day of the Lord holy. We need to make sure we keep him as our number one priority. Church, fellowship, being around like-minded believers is important. Don't let the enemy take that away. Don't let him steal that from you. It's important to be in a Bible study. It's important to continue to get your mind sharpened by the Word of God and keep learning and getting the knowledge of God built into your mind and your body and your, and your soul. Important. It was a good lesson for us. Jesus was revealed to John, and because of time, I won't take the time to read all that, but I want to give the description of what Jesus was. Now, understand that Jesus it says that he was, he was standing among seven candlesticks or lampstands. Now, it's interesting about that. Candlesticks or uh, lampstands, they represent the churches. A candlestick in itself has no light. The candlestick is not the light. The light is the candle, which has the light of, has to, be, has to be lit with the fire, and the fire then becomes the light. The church is not the light. It's the people who are the light of God. They make up the light of the church. So he didn't say candles. He said candlesticks or lampstands. Jesus stood among the lampstands, and sometimes if the people in the church aren't faithful to God, the light goes out. The building's still there. The people are still there, but if they don't have the light of Christ in them, there's no light in that building. There's no light in that body of believers because the light comes through Jesus. We are the light of the world, and it comes as we are reflecting the light of Christ. So we have to make sure that our lives are lining up with God's Word and that we're keeping that light tuned and trimmed and are keeping that, that candle lit with the Word of God. So it's not a, he's not talking to dead churches. He's not talking to um, lamp stands with no light. He's talking to the light of the world of the people that are in the people, that light is in us. So that's important. Um, he also talks about the hair in his head, white like wool. It shows age, but it does not show weakness. It's not old age, and he's not getting older and weaker. He's getting stronger. In fact, in the Bible, white hair and gray hair is a sign of glory. So it's the glory of God. His eyes were like blazing fire. Jesus, I can't, I can't imagine. I, I, I'm looking forward to the time where I can look into the eyes of Jesus. But here's the deal. Today, Jesus' eyes here are like blazing fire. In other words, Jesus' eyes penetrate through everything. We, are, we can no, go nowhere where Jesus does not see us. Nothing is hidden from him at all. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. Basically, his feet were the beautiful description that were given because he was bringing good news. He was bringing the gospel. He was bringing the good news. Isaiah 52, 7, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. You can have beautiful feet this morning if you bring good news into your world. You can have feet like bronze this morning if you bring good news in. His voice was like sound of rushing waters. Amazing. Here, here's interesting. I like a brook. I like to listen to a crick. I like to listen of water. Water can be a refreshing sound, and water can be a disastrous sound. It depends how much water is coming down at the moment, right? You, you take a, a little crick and it can be so refreshing, and you take a dam that breaks and to hear the, 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 thro- the, the, the roar of the water rushing over a broken dam would be very scary, very intimidating. So God's voice is 
very peaceful. At the same time, it can be very uh, inundating with authority. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp double-edged sword. Basically, it's a double-edged sword. It cuts both ways. It cuts to the bone. It destroys the sin. And at the same time, it mends and it binds up what's broken. His face was like a shining sun in all its brilliance. God's glory is uncontainable. It outshines anything around it. Nothing can compare with the glory and with the brightness of God. I'm running out of time. Revelation 7, uh, verse 17, 20. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Next week, we're going to take a look at the messages of, those, of Jesus that he gave to those seven churches. And I would think those, those are pretty important, wouldn't you? If Jesus is giving a message to the church, don't you want to hear what it says? Don't you want to pay attention to what Jesus is saying here? As we conclude, Jackie, if you'd come and we'll conclude here. I just want to, I want to end where we started this morning. And I want to end with verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. See, there is a blessing to the overcomer. The blessing of the overcomer or the victorious is promised multiple times through this book of Revelation for those that are overcomers in the end. Chapter 2, verse 11. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Verse 26 of the same chapter, chapter 2. To the one who is victorious or an overcomer does my will to the end. Verse, chapter 3, verse 5. The one who is victorious or an overcomer will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Verse 12 of chapter 3. The one who is an overcomer, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Verse 21, to the one who is an overcomer, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. The question is, how do you become an overcomer? Do you want to be an overcomer? Do you want that? Do you want to be one of those people at the end that are sitting on the throne with Christ? Do you want to be that or do you want to be the ones that are, that are cast outside with a weeping and a gnashing of teeth? You have the choice today. That's what Revelation is all about, giving us the choice. 1 John chapter 5, the first five verses say this, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. You can be victorious if you are born of God. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you want to be an overcomer this morning? Then you have to believe in Jesus Christ. That's the only way. You don't become an overcomer through any other religion, any other false belief, no matter how badly you believe it, no matter how committed you are and dedicated to that belief. The only way that you will become an overcomer and be victorious at the end 
The only way you'll be the one left standing is through Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you close your eyes with me this morning? Father, I'm so thankful that you've revealed your son to us through this book of Revelation. I'm so thankful that you love us so much that you weren't willing to throw us away, that you weren't willing to say, they're not worth it, let's just scrap it all, let's just start over and leave us abandoned. No, that's not your plan. Your plan is through the love of Jesus that he came down and became our perfect sacrifice. And so, Lord, I want to be an overcomer today. I want to be an overcomer. And so I'm going to ask those here this morning with your eyes closed this morning, all eyes closed and heads bowed this morning, if you're not an overcomer today and you know who you are because there's something in your spirit that's turning over and over and over because you're nervous about the end is near. That makes you nervous. It makes you nervous, and it should make you nervous. If you're not an overcomer today and you want to be, it's not hard. It's not overburdensome. It's simply believing and accepting and then acting on who Jesus Christ is in your life. So this morning, as all eyes are closed, I want to ask you, I want you to be sure this morning, I want to bring that sense of urgency that the book of Revelation is bringing, and I want you to know that you don't know what tomorrow holds. So this morning, if you know, if you don't know, For sure, if you're saved, if you are an overcomer, would you just raise your hand and say, Jesus, I want that. I want that. I want to know, Jesus, for sure that I'm an overcomer. It just takes a second. No one's looking around. Nobody's going to see. This is not a time for anybody looking around. This is a personal relationship. This is a personal time to make sure that your life is lined up. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Lord, we are a room of overcomers today, and I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, Father, I thank you for that. I praise you, Lord, and I'm looking forward for that day. I'm looking forward to that day when I will stand before you, Christ, and that you will look down upon me and you'll say, Mike, well done. You are a good and faithful servant. And all those others here this morning that are in this place will have that same assurance, because the, the same words, because we're overcomers and we know our heart is right with you. I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Jackie, just lead us in the song. Let's, let's leave this place today as an overcomer. Amen?
before you now. We honor you. We just declare you King of kings and Lord of lords of our lives. Lord, go with us as we go to our homes today. Lord, bring us back next week, I pray, to hear the message that you bring to the churches. And I pray that our hearts be attuned to hear that. And I pray, God, that you'll deal with us all week long because of who you are. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Be glorified. Amen. Have a great day today. Bless the Lord in Jesus' name. Amen.